Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The 2020 MLB season will be one like any other that we have seen before. A 60-game sprint in just over two months to decide who will be playing in October in a format that lends itself to the unpredictable. But that's where Greg Peterson comes in. He's got you covered daily, highlighting elements and angles that will be essential to know along with his picks with every single game on every single day. Now it is time for the Baseball Betting podcast with Greg Peterson. Hey, warm hello. Welcome to lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. We've got a terrific podcast for you. As my buddy from back when we were working together at the Vegas Stats and Information Network, Jeff Parles is going to be joining me in the second segment. You want to stay tuned because he's going to be unveiling a new venture that he is going to be doing at the final part of his segment. And we're also going to be taking a look at all the games for Saturday. That is going to be fun in the final segment. I do give you a side total on every game on the Saturday MLB betting board. And a little something I like to call, touch them all. I will throw this out there right now. Over half the games are off the board, so I'm going to do my best to give you guys a little bit of analysis, so it might be a little bit herky-jerky there. We've got some double headers as we wound up seeing the Astros and the Oakland A's protest their game on Friday, so we are going to have a double header that game a little bit out of left field on that as well as that happened right when I was doing my breakdowns of everything, so that was certainly very interesting to say the least, and I do love to always be able to answer your Twitter questions. If there's something that you'd like answered on this podcast, further than in my timeline at GRS41, if you send these via direct message, aka DM, well, letters DM to meme mean does not matter. I really didn't get in a whole heck of a lot today, obviously a lot of confusion with all the protests that are going on and everything like that, and a little bit of a sad note to end Friday as well. Rest in peace to Chadwick Boseman. I typically don't give actors a lot of love on this podcast, but as we know, he wanted portraying Jackie Robinson in the movie 42. It looks like he passed away at the age of 42, either 42 or 43. I just find it so ironic in a day in which 
the MLB honors Jackie Robinson that he winds up passing away. So obviously a little bit of a sad note there. But what was not sad is the fact that we had some great baseball action. Let's take a look back at it from Friday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. What happened yesterday? Let's go around the bases and find out. We saw a double dip out there in New York for the Subway Series. And it was actually the Yankees that wound up getting swept. This is a little bit of a shock, shock, surprise, surprise. As typically the Mets find a way to screw these things up. But in game one, they wind up striking for a five spot in the sixth inning. Six to four, the final in this one. For the New York Mets, Dominic Smith, a man that we saw just crying uncontrollably a couple days ago about being a black man in America. You know what? He winds up hitting the game go-ahead, I guess you could call it, home run. Wound up being the game-winning home run. You can't help but feel a little bit good for him. That's his seventh home run of the campaign. Very touching moment there. You had Pete Alonso going deep in that inning as well. That was his sixth home run of the season. And then Jake Marizic was able to add on a little bit of insurance as well. He winds up getting his first home run of the campaign. So certainly saw some fireworks there. And the Yankees were able to get out to a 4-0 lead. They wind up striking for a two-spot in both the first and second innings. Highlighted by Clint Frazier getting his third home run of the campaign. But in this one, you wound up having the start going to Jordan Montgomery. He gives up three runs over the course of five innings. And then from there, Chad Green winds up giving up all three of those home runs. And then Jonathan Older, well, he held down the fourth for an inning. And for the New York Mets, Michael Walker was more like the Pac-Man voice. Waka, 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 waka. He winds up going three innings. He gives up four runs, all of which were earned. And then from there, Walker Lockett, Dylan Batances, and Edwin Diaz, four scoreless innings out of the bullpen. So they were able to do a solid job there. And then in game two, it was a Mets walk-off winner in Yankee Stadium. Four to three, the final. Absolutely ridiculous. Hitting the walk-off blast amid Rosario, his third home run of the campaign. That came off of Aroldis Chapman, who, as we know, he was dealing with COVID at the beginning of the year. And for Jonathan Luizaga, he wound up being the pseudo-opener in this game. He goes three innings. He gives up one run, so he was able to do his job. And then from there, you had Adam Adovino give the team a solid inning. Nick Nelson winds up giving up a run in an inning. Luis Sessa, he winds up not giving up any runs in his inning. But for the New York Yankees, they wind up going two of six with men in scoring position. They weren't able to get that big home run for the New York Mets. They wound up having Drew Peterson get the start. He winds up giving up three runs over the course of four innings. A lot of it due to the three walks, but Drusich Familia, typically Spanish for his blown save, Brad Brock and Jared Hughes, they do their job out of the bullpen. Three scoreless innings there, so the Mets get a sweep of the New York Yankees, who all of a sudden, the New York Yankees, they're scuffling. They've lost each out of their last seven straight games ever since they wound up playing the poopy Boston Red Sox. It has not been going well for them. Meanwhile, it is also not going well for the, the aforementioned poopy Boston Red Sox. They wind up losing to the Washington Nationals by a count of 10-2, and Max Scherzer looked like Max Scherzer in this one. Six strong innings. He gives up one run, 11 punch-outs. Bullpen from there was not terrible. They wind up giving up one run over the course of three innings. That was given up by Ben Bramer, who winds up making his MLB debut. And for the Washington Nationals, this is a team that at the beginning of the year was doing a tremendous job of stranding men on base. Not in this one, as you had Howie Kendrick along with Josh Harrison, both getting their second home run in the campaign, and Juan Soto is able to go deep for his ninth for the Boston Red Sox. Martin Perez got completely lit up. He gives up six runs over the course of four innings, giving up two bombs. Robert Sock comes out of the bullpen for two innings. He gives up one run. And Jesse Springs, he gives up three runs over the course of two innings. Josh Taylor, a scoreless setting, but for the Boston Red Sox, this is a team that is certainly scuffling, to say the least. They have now lost... 
four out of their last five games, so certainly a little bit of an issue when it comes to what is all happening in Boston, as it looks like they are trying to get the number one pick at this point. The Tampa Bay Rays are certainly not going to be getting the number one pick, and they've been able to do a very solid job so far this year with their pitching, and they take down the Miami Marlins in a low-scoring game by kind of 2-0 to zero for the Tampa Bay Rays. They wind up leaving nine men on base, but they were able to get just enough in the eighth and ninth innings to be able to get the win. Ten hits combined for the Tampa Bay Rays. Ryan Yarbrough, his best start of the year. Six and two-thirds innings of scoreless baseball. Peter Fairbanks along Diego Castillo were able to come out of the bullpen and hold down the fort. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, a very good start from Sixto Sanchez. Ten punch-outs, seven innings. He does not give up a single run, but then Richard Blyer gives up a run in the bullpen along with Josh A. Smith, so that was not ideal for the Miami Marlins. They wind up stranding six men on base. They were unable to get that big edit as well. And for the Tampa Bay Rays, as we talk about so many of these teams slumping, they are all of a sudden firing all cylinders. How about them losing just one game over the past week for them? And I believe that this is a team that has now won 10 out of their last 12. So they are certainly getting things going. The Chicago White Sox have things going as well. They take down the Kansas City Rails by kind of 6-5. to five. They were able to get a walk-off winner in this one as Yasmani Grandal winds up getting his fourth home run in the campaign. They came off of Ian Kennedy also in this game. Eloy Jimenez along with Luis Robert were able to get home runs for Jimenez, his 11th, and then for Robert, his 8th for the Kansas City Royals. The Duff man tried to deliver Danny Duffy. He winds up giving up four runs, three of which were earned over the course of five and two-thirds innings. Ian Kennedy winds up giving up that walk-off home run in the ninth, and then Tyler Zuber gave up a run out of the bullpen as well, but by and large, they were able to do a solid job, and they were actually trailing by one going into the ninth inning, and they were able to tie that game up in the ninth, and you had a pair of home runs in this one. Ode Soler is eighth home run of the campaign that came off of Matt Foster, and then Whit Merrifield went out of Rinaldo Lopez for his sixth home run of the campaign, and for Mr. Lopez, he gives up two runs over the course of four innings. Foster gives up two runs out of the bullpen, which was not necessarily ideal, and then Alex Colome did give up that run in the ninth, but it was an unearned run as Jose Abreu has been doing a great job with the bat. He winds up committing an error for the Chicago White Sox. This is an offense that has been certainly doing a very good job. They have scored at least six runs and I believe now eight out of their last 10 games. So they have certainly been able to light it up there. The Reds and the Cubs have not necessarily been lighting it up when it comes to batting average, but the Reds were able to get a 6-5 win over the Cubbies. I've been mentioning it on this podcast, Kyle Hendricks, not being the same pitcher home to road on the road in this one. He gives up five runs over the course of six innings, including two home runs. Kyle Ryan gave up a home run in the bullpen as well as for the Reds, three of home runs in this one. You wind up having Freddie Galvis get that home run off of Ryan for his sixth home run in the campaign, and then Eugenio Suarez gets his seventh, Jesse Winker his ninth for the Reds. Tyler Molly, a very good start, and I believe that the Reds have won like 20% of his starts over the team's last two years. He gives up two runs over the course of six and two-thirds innings. You had, coming out of the bullpen, not necessarily relief from Robert Stevenson. He winds up recording one out, and he gives up three runs, including two home runs. As for the Cubs, they get a quadrant of home runs in this one. Jason Award was able to go deep off of Stevenson for his third home run of the season, then also teeing off on Stevenson. Wilson Contreras is fourth, Anthony Rizzo gets his sixth, and then Kyle Schwarber is seventh. Those both came off of Molly, but it just wasn't enough as the Cubs. They weren't really able to get any hits other than those, as they wind up having six hits in this game. Four of them wound up flying over the fence, so that was the reason why they had a little bit of a bugaboo in this one. The San Francisco Giants have been having a little bit of a bugaboo when it comes to road games, and they wind up losing to the Arizona Diamondbacks by kind of 7-4. For the San Francisco Giants, pair of home runs in this one. Brandon Crawford is third home run in the campaign. That wound up having you cash the over if you had it. And then Evan Longoria is able to get his fourth as for the San Francisco Giants. Not the start that you were looking for out of Tyler Alexander. The last time he faced the Arizona Diamondbacks, he had a complete game, and he gave up one unearned run. 
In this one, four and two-thirds innings, he gives up seven runs, all of which were earned. Bullpen from there was solid. They wind up going a grand total of three and a third innings of scoreless baseball, but for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were really able to hit with men in scoring position. Six of 12 with that regard, no home runs, but Zach Gallen now has 22 starts to begin his career with three earned runs or fewer in every one of them. Seven innings pitch, he gives up one run. Most of the damage came in the final two innings as Taylor Widener came in and he gave up three runs over the course of two innings, but game was in hand from there. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this is a bunch that at this time last week, they were riding a streak of scoring two runs or fewer in like seven straight games. So that was not necessarily great. The Texas Rangers had won just once since their run-in with Mr. Fernando Tatis Jr. last week going into Friday. But they take down the LA Dodgers by kind of 6-2. And this one, Dustin May, not a great start, not a terrible start. Two runs given up over the course of six innings. But Jake McGee lets this game on fire. He winds up giving up four runs in a third of an inning of the bullpen. And then from there, Dylan Floral and Mitchell White wound up having to come in and put out the fire. But for the Dodgers, not a lot doing with runners in scoring position at 2 of 12. And for the Texas Rangers, Mike Miner has been unfortunate so far this year. But in this game, he gives up zero runs over the course of six innings. You did have Yoli Rodriguez give up two runs out of the bullpen. And then Jonathan Hernandez and Rafael Montero from there were able to close it out. And for the Texas Rangers, big home run here from Dan Diedrich. He goes deep off of Mr. McGee. His second home run of the campaign as for the Texas Rangers. This is a punch at certainly things have not necessarily been able to go well for them, but they were able to get things going in this one as they had been riding a streak of losing eight out of their last nine games, so they were able to get on the winning track there. The Cleveland Indians have played the most unders out there in baseball so far this year, but they took it to the St. Louis Cardinals by a count of 14-2. The Cleveland Indians in this one, whole bunch of home runs. Carlos Santana, his fourth home run on the campaign. Taylor Naquin, his first, and then you've got Famio Reyes going yard for his fourth as Daniel Ponce de Leon. Did not give the start that the team was looking for. Four runs given up in two-thirds of an inning. That's even worse when you consider all the games that the St. Louis Cardinals are going to need to go through and how badly Texas bullpen is going to be when it's all said and done. Jake Woodford had to come in for three and a third innings. He gave up two runs. And then you had six runs given up by Junior Fernandez in an inning. And then it got to the point where it had to be two innings and two runs given up for one to Ricardo Sanchez. And it was actually so awful. Max Chirac wound up pitching the ninth inning. That's a position player for the St. Louis Cardinals. As their lone bright spot, Dexter Feller was able to get a home run his start of the campaign as Tristan McKenzie. Another good start. He winds up giving up that home run, but he gives up two runs over the course of four innings. From there, Adam Plutko, four innings of scoreless baseball in relief, and Cameron Hill wound up delivering a solid inning as well. So that is certainly helping out the Cleveland Indians, who I believe are now tied for the AL Central lead. They've been able to do a solid job there. The Angels have not been doing a solid job, but they were able to take down the Seattle Mariners by a count of 3-2 to two on Friday. Nick Maragavicious, good start in this one. Six innings pitch, he gives up two runs, and then out of the bullpen, you wound up having Brady Lale give up a run in an inning, but you also had Yohan Ramirez come in for a scoreless inning for the Seattle Mariners. Just not a lot doing when it came to the bats. They had a grand total of six hits in this one. As for the LA Angels, Andrew Heaney, his best start of the year. He gets 10 strikeouts, 72 thirds innings. He gives up one run as Ty Buttery also gives up a run. And what was big for this LA Angels team, Mike Trout, his 11th home run of the campaign. This is a man that missed a little bit of time for paternity leave, but ever since he became a father, he has been giving birth to a whole bunch of home runs. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that pun, but what is not very punny is the fact that the Philadelphia Phillies are not the Sillies as they wind up knocking the Atlanta Braves around 7-4, the final in this one in 11 innings. The Phillies get a walk-off three-run shot 
from Scott Kingery, a man that has badly struggled so far this year. His first home on the campaign, and then he had Andrew McCutcheon going deep for his third home on the campaign, and Gene Segura is fourth for the Philadelphia Phillies. Zach Wheeler was wheeling and dealing in this one, five and two-thirds innings. He gives up one run, but the bullpen has certainly been an issue for this team, and Adam Morgan wound up giving up two runs in a third of an inning, but rest of the guys, Ethan Embry, Brandon Workman, along with Hector Neris and Blake Parker, were able to hold down the fourth end for the Atlanta Braves. They wind up getting a pretty bad start here from Robbie Erland. He gives up four runs over the course of four innings, but then from there, Luke Jackson, Darren O'Day, A.J. Minter, along with Will Smith, Shane Green, all these guys were able to hold down the four in the bullpen, and then Mark Melanson wound up just not being able to get the job done. That was all the trustworthy arms for the Atlanta Braves in the bullpen, but they were able to get a pair of home runs. Austin Riley, his fifth home run of the campaign, that came off of Morgan and Enterenciarte, his first of the season. That also came off of Morgan, and then you had the Milwaukee Brewers brewing up some offense. They get a 9-1 win over the Pittsburgh Pirates for the Poopy Pirates. Derek Collin, for the second time in four games, gives up eight-plus runs. He gives up eight runs over the course of five innings. Three home runs. Why he wasn't pulled earlier, I have no idea. But Ryan Braun gets his second home run of the campaign. Jed Gurko winds up getting two home runs. He's fourth and fifth of the campaign. The other one came off of the bullpen of the Pittsburgh Pirates. And then Jake Nottingham is able to get his first home run of the campaign, giving up that home run out of the bullpen to Mr. Gurko for the Pittsburgh Pirates was Nick Mears. He winds up going in this one, one and two-thirds innings, giving up that run. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates... Nothing doing with the bats once again. They get one run and four hits. This is a bunch that they're just not generating a whole bunch of offense. Four runs or fewer scored in each of their last five games. The last time they scored more than that was, ironically enough, in their last series against the Milwaukee Birds as Corbin Burns. A terrific start. Ten punch-outs. No runs given up over the course of six innings. You did have Mr. David Phelps come into this game. He gave up a run in the bullpen, but Drew Rasmussen also looked very good. Two scoreless innings for him. And then the day was concluded by the Toronto Blue Jays getting a walk-off homer in ten innings against the Baltimore Orioles by a count of five to four. For John Means, by far his best start of the campaign, only four innings, but he gives up two runs. Both of those were solo home runs, as you had a trio of home runs in this game for the Toronto Blue Jays, as Teoscar Hernandez gets his 12th home run of the campaign. That came off of Means. Randall Gritchick wound up having the game-winning home run, his ninth, and then Vlad Guerrero Jr. went deep off of Means as well, his fifth. But for the Baltimore Orioles, bullpen was very solid until... You wind up having the reliever coming in in the 10th in Cole Souser. He winds up giving up that game-winning home run, but Dylan Tate along with Tanner Scott and Miguel Castro were able to combine for four innings of scoreless baseball. And for the Baltimore Orioles, you had a home run in this game off the bat of Renato Nunez. He gets his seventh home run of the season. As for the Toronto Blue Jays, they wound up getting a terrific start out of Hinjin Ryu. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of six innings. Man that wound up giving up that home run, that'd be Jordan Romano. He winds up giving up that home run in two-thirds of an inning, but you had Rafael Dolis give up a run in the tenth inning, but the Toronto Blue Jays were able to rally, and this is a team that is now 16-14. and 14. So this is what we all saw for Major League Baseball on Friday. Now let's turn the page forward to Saturday and see what the new venture is for our good buddy Jeff Parles. That is on the other side right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Craig Peters. Greg is calling in a pinch hitter from the Overtime Network Hotline. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. It is always a pleasure to be joined by our next guest. This is a man that I got to know and love over there at the Vegas Stats and Information Network. You're going to find out at the end of this podcast that this is a man that is going to be starting up a new venture very soon, and I am very happy for him, as it is my good buddy Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast, a very well-traveled man 
He's been out here to Las Vegas. He spent some time in Missouri. Now he's back in the eastern part of the country in New Jersey. And you can follow him on Twitter at Jeff Parles. And in the last name is spelled P-A-R-L-E-S. Jeff, always great to have you aboard. How are you? I'm good, man. It's been a fascinating week. A lot of things uh, going towards the betterment of this great country that we live in, Greg. I'm happy that people's voices are being heard loud and clear through protest. I'm happy to be with you today. And I'm happy also, too. It'll be the first real publicity shot for the new adventure for me, too. And it is a very good one. We are going to get to that at the end. And I know that we were talking a little bit off air just about some of the bets that you always like to do in baseball. And you do something called the Coors Cocktail. Talk a little bit about that because it doesn't involve (laughs) actual beer, but rather just what you do whenever there's a game at Coors Field. Greg, I know you're a big Bud Light Platinum guy. So I think any, any, any promotion... For the other domestic beer companies may fall a little flat for you, no pun intended. Hey, I, <laughs> I will not discriminate when it comes to beer. Miller Lite, Bud Light. If it's cold, I will consume it. You know, I think after this, actually, I may go uh, grab one of the High Lifes out of the fridge downstairs. Mm-hmm. But Greg, so I did this last year, and it's a big, hot, and cold. This year, it's basically all been based on the Rockies' opponents more than the Rockies themselves. So the Coors Cocktail, Greg, it's a three, it's a three-part bet. And some people will probably think, why would you do this? Because if you just bet it in-game, you may actually end up better off, especially if your first part hits. And that's a legitimate argument. So what I do, Greg, is I do three-quarters of a unit or seven-tenths of a unit, depending on the day and depending on the price also, depending on how big the plus price is on the no in the first in. Then I will go over in the first five and over the full game. Now, yesterday I was a little bit late on the trigger for the over. I ended up taking a bad number. I had to take the hook on the 11 and a half instead of the 11 that was available earlier in the day on the Padres and the Rockies. But look, Greg, Coors Field, as we know, is an unbelievable hitter's part. And especially at a low total like it was yesterday, where you have Freeland, who's pitched a little bit above his head, and Zach Davies, who has been quite good for the Slam Diego Padres this year. But when you have a ballpark factor that's so crazy like Colorado, and I know that in the years past, you were looking at unders because the totals have gotten high. We saw that last year. I got burned by this when those totals got to 13, 13 and a half, 14. I eased off when you start seeing those high totals. But at 12, 11 and a half, 11, God forbid you see a 10 and a half at Coors. Over first five, over full game, and then no run in the first inning. So if you somehow get a scoreless first inning and you end up with a low-scoring game, you at least make some of that money back, and you end up down less than a unit on the game. And if the games are crazy over, you end up up. It certainly is just so crazy to see those Coors Field games. And as I'm seeing it right now, it's going to be Adrian Morion, who's going to be going for the San Diego Padres against Antonio Sensatello for Saturday. We've got one number up on the board, and I've got to think that this is a typo, as I'm seeing a total of nine with the over of juice of minus 139 at Bookmaker. No I mean, way, no that's way. just no way. <laughs> no way. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking, too. I'm just like, over of nine. I mean, with these guys at a neutral ballpark, I'd be looking at that over, as we do have Jeff Bartles joining me right here on the podcast. And Greg, that, I'm going to tell you right now, that number is still up. When this podcast is posted, and you know what? Maybe you lose. Make that a five-unit bet if you're at nine for the full game. Just go ahead. Yeah, that, come on. <laughs> Especially with the way the Padres, Greg. And look, I forget who it was. So one of your podcast guests uh, tweeted tweeted what he said on your pod. Uh, Kyle Condor. Yeah, yeah. I got to give Kyle a lot of credit, and I followed suit. 
on the day that the season started, because I was in New Jersey, DraftKings was doing a promo where bet a certain amount on a team to win a World Series. They'll give you a free bet for opening night. So who did I take? I took the San Diego Padres. So I followed Kyle's lead. I think the Padres, and I don't know if this is where you're heading here, Greg, but the Padres are fun. And in a short season like this, and an 18 playoff, they're very much live here. Because once you get into that best of three, you can get some real wacky stuff, especially with it seemingly now that we're going to be having bubble ball for the playoffs. I am right there with you. We're certainly going to be seeing a lot of wacky baseball. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. What else is a lot of fun is just watching some of these Boston Red Sox games because you just don't know what you're going to get game to game. On Saturday, it's going to be Anibal Sanchez who's going to be going for the Washington Nationals. Meanwhile, you've got Chris Mazza who's going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Total of 11 and a half out there at Fenway. No way fans are butts about it. This Red Sox pitching staff is not good. But what I find very intriguing is that the Red Sox have actually been solid to the full game under. Now, if you're taking... The opponent's team total over that has been a little bit more profitable. So I think it's one of these cases which leads me back to what I've been saying all year long. Different games require different bets because I think that so many people, they just get into this mindset of, oh, I've got to be taking the over in Boston Red Sox games, this, that, and the other. You need to be taking a specific over in Boston Red Sox games, not necessarily the full game blindly. We're going against what I just said with the blind Coors cocktail play for me here. I've been doing basically the exact opposite. Whenever I see a yes, and Greg, I know you play full game. I know that's your strategy. But there have been a lot of good opportunities this year with betting first innings, with betting the yes, there'll be a run scored by either team. Or if you want to go for the big bopping plus price, and again, you can get easily burned by this, so do with caution and pick your spots. But I've done it a few times on Red Sox games where Three-way betting. I don't know who even has this in Nevada. I would imagine Hill does, and now Boyd Duel, with FanDuel seemingly taking over Boyd Gaming in Nevada, probably has it now, too. But it's prevalent in the books in all these newer places. You take the three-way betting where you have the draw in there for the first inning as well, and you take a shot. I won a big one earlier in the week with Toronto against the Red Sox, but the Red Sox starting pitching is so horrible, Greg. And really, the pitching in general is so horrible. But those full game totals are added. Like if you're seeing 11, 12 at Fenway, which we've seen, it's tough to really look at full game overs on a consistent basis. So I'm with you. Look at team totals over. A lot of these new books have options where you can basically take any team total you want. So if you want to lay like a minus 200 on a Nats over four and a half, four, go ahead. I, they're going to score five runs. Even though I think the over 11 is pretty good because Anibal Sanchez does not look like your mom and pop's Honorable Sanchez so far, Greg. I totally agree with you. He certainly has been roughed up. He's looked a little bit better recently, but he's also backed up by a bullpen that has not necessarily been terrific. I think that I'm putting it very politely. And as we do this podcast, we do have quite a few games that are off the board, but I know you're a man that you spent some time out there in Missouri. And as we know, St. Louis Cardinals baseball, it is going to be very fascinating this year, to say the least. You've got Carlos Carrasco who's going to be going for the Cleveland Indians. Captain Jack Flaherty on the bump for the St. Louis Cardinals. As I'm seeing it at a couple spots, the St. Louis Cardinals are minus 120. This to me looks like some terrific value because if there's been one weak link for the Cleveland Indians so far this year, when it comes to pitching, it's been Carlos Carrasco. Now, Jack Flaherty has not been going very deep into games. You can tell that the St. Louis Cardinals have been very cautious with them. But I take a look at this one, and I think that this would be a very good spot to back Jack Jack Flaherty, who ever since the all-star break of the 2019 season, it's really been he and Jacob DeGrom that have been the two best pitchers in baseball. What is that, an eight 
Greg, is that an eight right yep, now? Yep, I'm seeing a total of eight. That's probably a good full game under. The one thing I will say this year, in the past, I haven't been timid on this, but this year I have been with these new extra inning rules. You have a dead under for the whole game, Greg, like a 1-1 going to the 10th. And then because you got the guy starting on second, it starts this huge four-run rally. And then the other team doesn't care, and they'll give up one or two in the bottom half. And then all of a sudden, your dead under is lost because of these stupid new rules, which I will say, not as horrible as I thought, but I'm still not a fan of these new extra inning rules. But look, Flaherty's been awesome. Carrasco, as you said, has been hit or miss, was really good early, but has come back to earth a little bit. The Indians scored four runs in the first inning yesterday, which is a, a stunner. Because the Indians, as we were joking before we started recording, I didn't know the Indians were allowed to score four runs in a game. No less an <laughs> inning this year. So unders in Cleveland games are great. Unders in the first five in this game in particular, I think, is probably good too. Assuming you get a four. If you get a four and a half, I would absolutely go ahead and take it. And you know what? If you get beat, you just tip your cap. So I would look first five under. If you get a four and a half that's not heavily juiced, go ahead. And if you get beat, tip your cap. Yeah, I do think that this is going to be another game of which... Well, the Cleveland Indians are probably not going to be generating the four runs that they wound up getting in the first inning yesterday, as we do have Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast. And Jeff, when you take a look at the league in general, just what have you noticed over the last couple of weeks? Because I think that a big trend when it comes to baseball is that on days in which you have some solid starting pitchers, and we do have that for Saturday, you've been noticing a couple more unders. And then when you wind up getting into the bullpens, when you wind up getting a string in which... These teams have been just playing a bunch of days straight. That's when you really start getting into the overs just because the bullpen is a little bit taxed. You get into some of those less than trustworthy starters that aren't giving you five innings. I think it's really important to keep that all in mind. You know what my biggest takeaway is, Greg? These seven-inning games have not been as ridiculous as I thought they were going to be. I thought as soon as they instituted this, it was really going to look little league-ish. But you know what? The intensity of these seven-inning games... There's a better pacing to what I expected. Now, do I prefer that to a nine-inning game? Of course not. But for these doubleheaders, and I think there's some betting opportunities there in the second games, Greg. Obviously, check who the starters are. But I feel like in the second game of these seven-inning doubleheaders, I don't think these totals have gone to the numbers that they should be yet. So there are some totals that I think have been a run and a half too high. And I've also seen totals that I think have been a run too little. I think there's been, there's absolutely a really good opportunity of total betting in those seven inning games. And also keep in mind, they're going to be lower than you would see for a traditional nine inning game. And you're more likely to have a game tied through seven than you are through nine. So you have your extra inning rules too, yet again, that can help you push an under that looks like a dead under to an over, especially at a low total where Okay, it's six and a half in this seven inning game. All right, fine. Let's just get to extra innings at 2-2 and I got a shot. I think that's where you got to really be looking of the uniqueness of this year. Look at those seven inning double headers and look at those totals and see if you can pick off a mistake total, a run either way, too light or too heavy. And speaking of being burned by one of those totals in a seven inning game in the first game of that St. Louis Cardinals versus Pittsburgh Pirates series on Thursday, I wound up having the under. One to one through seven innings, and then you either got a push or you wound up getting a loss if you wound up taking the under, depending on if you got six and a half or seven. That was quite brutal. But brutal. what is not what is not brutal is the fact that we do have a full slate of baseball for Saturday. We've went through a couple games, Jeff. Is there anything that really stick out to you for Saturday? I believe this is the first time everyone's going to play on the same day in over a month, yeah. right, Greg? Because there was the rain out, uh, obviously, yesterday. 
for Minnesota and Detroit. You know what I'm going to tell you, Greg? I'm going to be looking at the Philly and Brave game. I know you've been riding your boy Josh Tomlin recently. I would be looking to ride him if the price is right here in this one against Philadelphia. And also, too, I want to see who the Mets are starting. I love betting against j Hap. Just love betting against him. Oh, yeah. So I would look at an over in that Met-Yankee game also as well. They're in the softball stadium for that one, too. So uh, <laughs> the benefit of uh, playing there, as we saw on Friday, which, by the way, Greg, if you had the Mets in game one of the double dip, what a tremendous win that was. Down 4 nothing with Chad Green in the game for the Yankees, and you come back and win. That was tremendous if you had the Mets. I don't think you did, though, with the way you're nope. re- not reacting here. Nope. <laughs> I had the Yankees and the under. Yeah, you got toasted uh. twice on that because of that inning. I make sure, just as a Met fan, I make sure I even just have a small, tiny thing on every Subway Series game. So a baby quarter of a unit bet came through for a very small, nice winner for me. So apologies to you, though, uh, Greg. <laughs> it is all good. At least I know a buddy of mine wound up benefiting a little bit from that. That is absolutely terrific. And speaking of that Braves versus Phillies game, it's going to be Zach Eflin awful going for the Philadelphia Phillies. So that is going to make me look at the Atlanta Braves in all likelihood. And Jeff, I always look at what you're doing. I know you've been doing some podcasting recently. I know that you and Ben Wilson wound up helping out some teens with autism that wanted to live out their dream of doing some sports casting. And now you've got a new venture coming up. So tell us all about that. Yeah, before I get to that, the fan-to-fan play-by-play, we're still rolling, Greg. One of our Very nice. We've been, we basically, in this bizarro year that is, we actually have the same access to the game as the regular announcers do sometimes. <laughs> so we calling it off TV has actually been some fun for our kids in the program. But no, Greg, this is actually the first public mention of this. The new podcast comes out on Monday. It was going to come out on Thursday, but we thought it was a good idea. Let everything on Wednesday and Thursday, let them speak for themselves and then react as the time goes along. So on Monday, the Parlay cast, as Gil used to refer to me as Jeff Parlay, <laughs> we're taking that and calling it the Parlay cast with Book It Sports. So, Book It Sports, the app is going to be launching on 11.1, but that doesn't stop our podcast network from going off now. The Parlay Cast launches on Monday. Check out my Twitter at Jeff Parles for more details, Greg. Oh, that is going to be absolutely terrific. Jeff Parles turning into Jeff Parlays. And we heard about the Coors Field cocktail as well. So, You've got a whole lot of that going on, and Jeff does a terrific job with a little bit of everything. So big thanks to Jeff Barles for joining me right here on the Baseball Betting Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. They give you a sign total on every game on Saturday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call Touch Em All. Welcome back to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson as we're off to a quality start. And now it's time to walk it off in a grand fashion. And a big thanks to Jeff Parles and a congratulations to him on his new podcast with Book It Sports for joining me in the last segment as we are back here in lovely Las Vegas for the Baseball Betting Podcast. Myself, Greg Peterson. Now it is that time that I give you a sign total on every game for Saturday's MLB betting board and a little something I like to call... Touch them all. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Do note that any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GRSquarty1. As I'm seeing it right now, I think that we've got six out of the 15 normal games with lines on them right now, so there is going to be a lot of speculating on this podcast as to what the line is going to be. I'm going to probably try to keep that a little bit shorter just because. Let's face it, it's a little bit difficult to be able to give you guys some picks on some of these games when you don't have a line. But with that said, 
Certainly going to do my best. We are in strange times right now, but we have fully embraced it on this podcast. And as per usual, we are going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This begins with 9.51, 9.52 on the betting board. The Subway Series as you've got the New York Yankees playing host the New York Metropolitans. For the Metropolitans, with Walker Lockett pitching along with quite a few others and a bunch of injuries, it is to be determined for them. Meanwhile, for the New York Yankees, it is going to be J- a hep hep array going for them. There is currently no numbers up on this game, predictably so, and this is a situation in which I'll probably be taking a look at an over if you have anything even remotely reasonable, because with Jay Happ, he's actually been solid in pitching against the Boston Red Sox, but he's made three starts so far this year. He's given up at least one home run in every one of them. He's won four innings or fewer into out of those three starts, 12 and two-thirds innings. He's issued 10 walks, given up nine runs. He just is not a good pitcher anymore. He had a north of five ERA last season, and he was giving up two home runs per nine innings. It has persisted. And with the New York Mets, this is actually a team that I believe leads the National League when it comes to team batting average. They've been doing a very good job there. They're coming in with a lot of good momentum. And for the Yankees, this is a team that's currently banged up. You have a couple guys in the lineup that are doing a very solid job. Luke Voigt, Clint Frazier, along with Mike Talkman. They're all hitting above a 300. You've been able to get a little bit of something out of the newly acquired Jordy Mercer, who I remember back from when he was with the Detroit Tigers. Gary Sanchez is about as useful as a poopy-flavored lollipop for this team. Miguel Anduar, I think a buck 29, and then you got guys like Eric Kratz are currently in the fold. And for the Mets, this is a team that was able to get a very nice walk-off home run from Amid Rosario in Game 2 of that doubleheader yesterday. Pete Alonso had a big home run in that series, and both these guys have been scuffling a little bit, both hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 220, so that's been good to see. And then you've got a trio of guys hitting a 330 or greater. Michael Conforto, Dominic Smith, along with Robinson Cano, was very emotional after the post-game comments that Dominic Smith had a couple days ago that he was able to have a big home run in Game 1. I felt very good for him. Jeff McNeil hitting a 260 for this bunch, along with Brandon Nimmo. This is a team that they're firing on all cylinders, and they actually have upward momentum right now. Now, the bullpen of the Mets and the Yankees is probably going to be a little bit sketchy right now because the Yankees, they had to blow through a lot of arms. Chad Green was unable to get the job done on Friday. Adam Adovino had to come into a game. You wound up having to use up a role this Chapman who wound up blowing that save against the New York Mets. So, this is a situation in which if you're getting any sort of a respectable starter for the Mets, I might be taking a look at them, especially if it's a nice plus money price. If I'm seeing a total, I would say anywhere near. South of 11, I'm probably going to be taking a look at that over. Obviously, it depends on the pitcher, so check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GRS41, but initial thoughts there. 9.53, 9.54 on the betting board. This is the first game that we're going to have numbers on, and it's going to be the last one for a while, as you've got one Carlos Carrasco taking the bump for the Cleveland Indians as they hit the road faceoff against the St. Louis Cardinals, as it's Captain Jack Flaherty who's going to be going for the cards. Cardinals are anywhere between minus 115 and minus 125 favorites. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the plus price with the Windians, anywhere between plus 105 and plus 115 total on this game is 8. The under is anywhere between minus 115 and minus 120. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and even. We saw the Cleveland Indians bust out for two plus touchdowns in their win on Friday. That was very good to see from the Cleveland Indians. I just can't see this being a sign of things to come because this is a bunch that they certainly have been scuffling on offense. Now they are getting a little bit of something now out of a few of the guys that you would expect to. Jose Ramirez is back to right around a 250 batting average. Francisco Lindor has done a good job of being able to bust out of his early season funk. He's got his batting average back above a 260, so that's something that you're able to behold. And with Taylor Naquin, he's actually been solid for this. He's hitting a 300. This is a team that the outfield is 
really been hurting them. But Cesar Hernandez now hitting a 272 as well. And then you've got one Carlos Santana, who's only got right around a 230 batting average, but he starts the top of the league when it comes to walks, 414 on pace percentage. And then when you take a look at the St. Louis Cardinals, this is a bunch that they've got a couple guys in the middle lineup that are doing a great job. How about Brad Miller, Paul DeYoung, Paul Goldschmidt, all hitting above a 300 for this bunch, but really, other than Yadier Molina and Dexter Fowler, you don't have much. Harrison Bader had a couple nice games earlier this week. He's come back to earth. Tyler O'Neill, Dylan Carlson, both of these guys are hitting below the Mendoza line. Cole Wong hitting a 220, though the on-base percentage has not been bad. And for the St. Louis Cardinals, if there is one thing that you're able to say for this team, they've got a very good bullpen, and guys like Giovanni Gallegos, John Ganton company, they did not come into the game against the Cleveland Indians because Daniel Ponce de Leon got absolutely shelled. He was out of the game after two-thirds of an inning, so you wound up going to the less than trustworthy long relievers. And for the Cleveland Indians, they're going to have all their good arms on call. But with Carlos Carrasco, this is a guy that wound up giving up right in the neighborhood of about 1.5 home runs per nine innings, and he just hasn't necessarily been solid here in 2020. This is someone that he's seen his ERA balloon to about a 450. He's given up six home runs in 30 innings along 15 walks. And for Jack Flaherty, he hasn't necessarily gone deep into games, but ever since the all-star break of the 2019 season, he has the best ERA out there in the big leagues. He's only given up one home run so far this year. He went five innings in his last start against the Kansas City Royals. Gave up one hit, no earned runs. I think he's going to be able to be masterful in this one. I think the Indians are going to be unable to get the bats going. So we are going to be going with the Cardinals and this total under. We move on to 9.55, 9.56 on the betting board. Philadelphia Phillies are going to be playing also the Atlanta Braves. Josh Tomlin goes for the Bravos. Meanwhile, Zach Eflin is going to hope to not be Eflin awful for the Phillies. And this is a game that is currently off the board with no numbers anywhere. Got to think that we're probably going to see something similar to what we got on Sunday Night Baseball. In that one, you saw the Atlanta Braves as a sizable-ish favorite. Now, with this game being played in Philadelphia, I would expect a little bit more of a pick line. And the total in that game was 9.5. With that being in Atlanta, with this one being in Philadelphia, probably a little bit more of a 10 total. And if we wind up getting that, I'll probably be taking a look at the over. And I'll probably take a look at the Atlanta Braves in this spot, obviously. A soul-crushing way for them to lose on Friday. As you had Scott Kingery, who's done absolutely Jack Diddley squat for the Philadelphia Phillies so far this year. Come in and get a pinch hit three-run home run. He's now hitting a buck 34, ladies and gentlemen. And Neil Walker slowing below the Mendoza line. But what you like about the Philadelphia Phillies is that they have been able to get a lot out of Bryce Harper, who has a 445 on base along J.T. Ryumuto, nine home runs, 280 batting average. Andrew McCutcheon, after a rough start to the year, has gotten it going. He's hitting a 265. D.D. Gregorius, we've been a f- euphorious for him. He's hitting a 290. Phil Gosselin hitting well above a 3-iron. This is a team that's still operating without Jay Bruce, but what is big for the Atlanta Braves, they now have Ronald Cunha Jr. back to fold, and these guys batting average up to a 270, and Marcel Zuna hitting more Ronnie, 282. And you've got a trio of guys in this lineup that are hitting above a 3-iron. Nick Marcakis is fresh off the injured list, along Freddie Freeman and Dansby Swanson. That is huge for them. Now, it looks like Nick Marcakis wound up dealing with COVID, and he did wind up going 0-5 in the team's game on Friday. That is something that you do want to monitor, because it seems like these guys have been coming back from COVID just from personal experience. It seems like they're off to a little bit of a slow start because from everything I've been hearing about COVID, uh, you typically, it just lingers for a little bit. So that is something that I'm trying to keep in mind. Obviously, you don't want to jump to any rash conclusions, but at the same time, you don't want to completely factor it out. So it's one of those things where I'm sort of 
playing the middle line there. And then you do have a quadrant of guys that you have to monitor the fact that they're hitting a 210 or lower. That'd be Ender Enciarte, Yohan Camargo, Matt Adams, and Adeni Echevarria. Now you are getting Austin Riley going a little bit, but he's still hitting just a 216 as well. But I do think that with Travis Arno being able to give this team some pop, hitting a 320, it should be able to power them. For Zach Eflin, this is a guy that I just have absolutely no faith in. A 512 ERA in 19 out of third innings. He's issued eight walks and two home runs so far this year. 29 punch outs, but I think that that's going to come back to earth. And Josh Tomlin, he's just proving that he's not necessarily a terrific starter. The bullpen, after he wound up getting taken out of his last start, which was a 5-4 loss against the Philadelphia Phillies on Sunday, was pretty good. But he wound up giving up in three innings, four runs. He had given up three home runs. I think he'll do a little bit better than that. But with that said, I do think it's going to be a higher scoring game. So at like 10-ish and a pick ish line, I'm going to be looking at the Atlanta Braves. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41. 957-958 on the bang board is up next. Chicago White Sox are going to be playing us against City Royals. Brady Singer goes for the Royals. Meanwhile, Dylan Cease is going to be going for the White Sox. Another game that is presently off the board. When I take a look at Dylan Cease, I just see a pitcher that's gotten pretty darn lucky so far this year. 4-2 record, 3-1-3 ERA, but he's got one of the highest strand rates out there in baseball. Just 22 strikeouts in 31 and two-thirds innings. And he's given up in that time span 7 home runs in 31 and two-thirds innings. Yet his ERA is a 3-1-3 and his record is a 4-2. I just don't think that that's sustainable. Meanwhile, for Brady Singer... He's been giving up the deep ball as well, and you don't want to be doing that against the Chicago White Sox. Seven long balls given up in 29 and two-thirds innings. You take a look at what he's done in his last three starts, all of which have been against the Minnesota Twins. He's given up two runs, three runs, and four runs, so it seems like teams are starting to figure him out. He's gotten four strikeouts or fewer in each out of those last three starts as well. And for the Kansas City Royals, this is an offense that they've got a little bit of something going as well. Jorge Soler not hitting as many home runs as he did during the 2019 campaign where he had 48, but he's still been able to give this team some functional power. And you've got a lot of guys with similar batting averages as Soler, Hunter Dozier, along with Ryan O'Hearn, Mikel Franco, and Miles Valoria. They're all in between a 239 and a 250, so they're all sort of in that neighborhood. And then Cam Gallagher, Ryan McBroom, Wick Merrifield, all guys are in a 300 grader. So you've got a little bit of something there. Alex Gordon, Nicky Lopez, Adalberto Mondesi, they've been struggling, but you've been able to get a little bit of production there. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're getting on the flip side for the Chicago White Sox. This is a team that leads the American League when it comes to home runs, and it's just been so impressive. Jose Abreu. I mean, what more could be said about this guy? He's hit like seven home runs over the past seven days, and that's despite the fact that you had the postponed games and everything like that. The team picked up Gerard Dyson. I think that he's going to be very, very useless for this team, but you do have quite a few guys that are selling a 300 grader as well. I mentioned Abreu, and then you've also got in that full Tim Anderson and Eli Jimenez. You've been able to get quite a bit out of Luis Robert. He's been a little bit in and out of the full, but he's hitting at 280 for this team. He's been able to give them quite a few home runs. He has Manny Grandal. has not only been good behind the plate, but he's also been able to give this team an on-base percentage right around a 360 as well. Yohan Mankata does a good job of being able to set the table as well. So I do look at this White Sox team. I think that they should be able to hit Brady Singer and they should be able to hit him hard. When you take a look at this bullpen of the Chicago White Sox, it also has been one of the better ones out there in the big leagues. And the Kansas City Royals have not been too shabby themselves. But for the Royals, they did have to use up Scott Barlow. you got to think that they're going to be looking to Trevor Rosenthal and Greg Holland in this game. Meanwhile, for the White Sox, the fact that they wound up having to use up Evan Marshall, Mr. Cordero, Alex Colome, and also one of their top multi-ending guys in Matt Foster leads you to being a little bit suspect there. If the White Sox are a slight favorite, I'm going to be taking a look. If you'd be seeing them at like minus 160 or something like that, I might wind up taking a shot here on the Royals. And for me, 10 or lower is certainly going to be play on the over. At 10.5, I'd probably consider it, but... 
that will probably be the absolute highest I'd be taking a look at it. So check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRSCORDY1 once we've got that numbers there. 959, 960 on the betting board is up next. We've got the battle for the state of Florida as the Tampa Bay Hotshell Rays are going to be on the road facing off against the Miami Marlins. Going for the fish, Mr. Pablo Lopez. And we've got for the Tampa Bay Rays, Josh Fleming. This is a game that is presently off the board for Mr. Fleming. Looked very good in his first start for the Tampa Bay Rays. He went up against the Toronto Blue Jays. He winds up giving up two runs over the course of five innings. I will admit I expected a little bit less from him. Meanwhile, for Lopez, he has actually been very good for the Marlins so far this year. You could tell that he was not the same player in 2019 after he wound up suffering an injury. Prior to the injury, he was actually a very good starter for this team. Things went downhill from there, but he has been very healthy so far this year. 3-1 record, book 90-80, all right. You take a look at his five starts. He has given up more than two earned runs in none of them. There was a start in which he gave up three runs, but only two of which were earned. So he's been able to do a great job there. The strikeouts have been a little bit intermiss, but he does a good job of not walking, guys. He's only given out three walks over his last three starts. And this is a pair of teams that I'm a little bit bearish on their offense. I know that the Tampa Bay Rays have put up some very good power numbers when it comes to August. One of the best teams in the American League with regards to runs per game, but I just question whether or not these guys are going to be able to keep it going. You've got four guys that are hitting in the neighborhood of a 285 and a 295 for this bunch. Willie Adamas, Joey Wendell, Brandon Lau, and Yandy Diaz. And for Lau, he's been doing a great job with the power 10 home runs. Austin Meadows, though, he just hasn't gotten it going the way that you'd expect. 247 batting average for him. And then you've got Hunter Renfro, G-Man Choi, Mike Zanino, Yoshi Tsutsogo, all hitting below a 200. Manuel Margot is hitting a 316, but I see that falling back to earth. And for the Miami Marlins, You've got someone that has a little bit of something to prove in Asus Aguiar. He's been in and out of the full last couple days, but he's been hitting right in the neighborhood of about a 280-ish. You've got a couple guys there slumping a little bit. Jorge Alfaro along with Lewis Brinson are both hitting below the Mendoza line. You expect that from Brinson. You don't expect it so much from Alfaro. You've got John Birdie who's been hitting a 275 for this bunch. And Miguel Rojas, ever since he came back from COVID, has been very solid. I actually do like the bullpen of the Miami Marlins. Now, you did have to use up a couple more of your trustworthy guys like a Josh A. Smith, but... Someone like a Brad Boxberger or Richard Blyer, both these guys use under 10 pitches, so got to think that a lot of these guys are going to be available, including Brandon Kitzler. I do think that Mr. Lopez is going to be able to outduel the rookie Fleming in this spot. Obviously, with the Rays, you've got a little bit of advantage because you're able to just pick and choose your bullpen arms. These guys have been very solid, but with that said, probably going to be taking a look at the Marlins if I'm getting a plus price here. Probably an under as well, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Sharon Squirty1 for set plays there. 961-962 on the betting board is up next. This is, I think, going to be a doubleheader, but we've only got one game listed right now, and I'm only seeing one game on ESPN. So, obviously, if we do wind up getting a second game, we will come to that bridge when we get there. But with that said, it is going to be the Minnesota Twins, and they're going to be hitting the road face off against the Detroit Tigers. Going for the Detroit Tigers in game one of this double dip, it is going to be one Matthew Boyd, and Randy Dominic is going to be going for the Minnesota Twins, obviously a game that is presently off the board. And now I am seeing game two on ESPN on the betting board. You've got to think that this is going to be a writing game like 983-984. It is going to be Mr. Tyreek Skubal, who's going to be going for the Detroit Tigers. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins, it's to be determined. And I was going to be fading the Detroit Tigers in both games of the doubleheader on Friday. I'll probably be doing the same once again here. When I was looking at game one, the double dip, when it was supposed to be Mr. Dobnik against Matthew Boyd, you were seeing the Twins right around a minus 140-ish favorite, give or take a little bit. And the total opened up at 7.5. It quickly dipped to 7. In that spot, I probably would be taking a look at the under. Now, I will say this. It's a dangerous game with the under because Matthew Boyd has been... 
0-4 record. 8.48 ERA ever since June of 2019. He's given up 2.5 home runs per nine innings and has an ERA north of a 5.5. He has been absolutely terrible, but I will say this. His last start against the Cleveland Indians, he gave up two runs over the course of five and a third innings. It was actually halfway decent. He does a good job of being able to get swings and misses. 33 punch-outs in 28 and two-thirds innings, but I really like what I've seen out of Randy Dominic. He has a buck 78 ERA so far this year. In six starts, he's won 30 and a third innings, so he's typically going about five innings for you, but with that said, despite the fact that he's given up three home runs over the team's last two games, he has still been rock solid. Seven walks in 30 and a third innings. I like the way that he's able to hold down the fort. Not much of a swing and miss guy. 16 punch outs per game, but I like what he's able to bring to the table of the Minnesota Twins. And this is a Detroit Tigers lineup that has been a little bit hot and cold so far this year. They were able to get things going in their series against the Chicago Cubs. And got a couple guys who are doing a good job of getting on base, including Jameer Candelario and Austin Romine, both inning between a 280 and a 290. Victor Reyes is inning more around a 265 Jonathan Scope. More in the neighbor of 300, but then you've got Jorge Bonifacio along with Nico Goodrum, both hitting below the Mendoza line and Miguel Cabrera only getting a 220. Meanwhile, with the Minnesota Twins, this team wound up leading the league in home runs last year and set a record for home runs. Now, you still got Josh Donaldson, Mitch Garver, along with Byron Buxton on the injured list, but you are getting a whole lot of something out of Nelson Cruz. 315 batting average, 11 home runs, 27 RBI. You've also been able to get a whole lot of something out of Luis Arias, who has been able to pick up his batting average more in the neighborhood of about a 275. Marwan Gonzalez, along with Eddie Rosario, are both in between a 250 and a 260, along with Miguel Sano. Don't you know that? And then you've been able to get about as much as you would from a pile of dog poop from Alex Avila and here, Adrianza. We're hitting right at the Mendoza line. Jake Cave is hitting a 215. Max Kepler has been out and cold. Gotta think that he's gonna start to pick it up. He's hitting right around a 240 for this bunch, but I take a look at this. I'd probably be taking a look at the under. And then in game two, I would think it might be a Minnesota Twins bullpen game, Bush. I would actually be all four because with the Minnesota Twins bullpen, they're in the top five in the league when it comes to ERA. They've been very solid. Now, Submergio Roma wound up submerging a game against the Cleveland Indians a couple days ago. But by and large, with guys like Taylor Rogers and company being able to do a solid job, they are a group that I have quite a bit of faith in. Tyler Clippard has been pretty solid as an opener. And for Scooble, he might as well be an opener at this point. He's made two stars. Four and a third innings. You can tell this guy just is not ready. He's going to be good eventually, but a 10-30 ADR. He's given up two home runs. He's got six strikeouts, but he's given up 10 hits and four and a third innings. I think they gets hit hard by the Minnesota Twins, so I'll probably be looking at the Twins in both of these spots. Certainly the under if you're seeing it at seven or greater for the matchup of Dobnik versus Boyd. If you get a seven in a Scooble versus bullpen game, I might consider the over depending on how game one looks, but check back in the morning, obviously, on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41 for set plays there. We move on to 963, 964 on the betting board, and this will be in conjunction with another double dip pass. That is the Chicago Cubs on the road facing off against the Cincinnati Reds. For game one, it appears as though we are going to be getting you Darvish going for the Cubbies. Meanwhile, Trevor Bauer Power is going to be going for the Cincinnati Reds. For game two of this doubleheader, it is going to be Alec Mills who's going to be going for the Chicago Cubs. As of right now, I am seeing to be determined for the Cincinnati Reds. If that winds up changing, I will let you know, but Certainly is a little bit murky when you're taking a look at these doubleheaders. And in this spot, I certainly will be taking a look at Trevor Bauer in Game 1. He wound up getting roughed up in his last start against the Milwaukee Brewers. He traces something about, like, buds in the dirt. And as a result, it was Miller time as they wound up teeing off on him. But with that said, other than that, he has been absolutely terrific. Two complete games so far in seven-inning doubleheaders. He might be the greatest ever seven-inning doubleheader pitcher ever because he's given up zero runs in both of those starts, and he's won a grand total of 14 innings in both. But you Darvish, how about how good he has been? 
five and one record, a buck seventy ERA. He has been lights out, and on the road, a one twenty nine ERA so far this season. He's gotten forty four punchouts in the process. This is the U Darvish that we all were hoping for when he came over from Japan several years ago. He is really hitting his peak form. I do not like what I'm seeing out of either of these bullpens. Guys like Amir Garrett and company, they have not necessarily been terrific for the Chicago Cubs. Shall we say more than Jeremy Jeffries along with our good buddy Greg Kimbrell, which Kimbrell's been a little bit better recently, but you really can't be a whole heck of a lot worse. You do have a little bit of question mark when it comes to some of these guys like a Rossiel Iglesias, but TJ Antone has been able to come out of the bullpen along with Lucas Sims for quite a few innings as well if needed, but when you dig a look at the Cincinnati Reds lineup, they're finally starting to get a little bit of hitting going. You've got two guys that are hitting above a 300 for this bunch. That would be Jesse Winker hitting a 341 with quite a few bombs, and Jose Garcia has been able to step up, but Shogo Akiyama, Eugenio Suarez, Matt Davidson, Mike Moustakis, Freddie Galvis, Tucker Barner, Kirk Casale, all hitting at 230 or lower for this bunch. Joey Votto's been in and out of the fold. He's hitting below at 230 as well. And for the Chicago Cubs, they were able to get a little bit of offense late in their loss against the Cincinnati Reds on Friday, but they certainly have been having their scuffles as well. Jason Kipnis, Victor Carantini, both hitting right in the neighborhood of a 255. And then you got David Bodie, Javi Baez, along with Anthony Rizzo and Kyle Schwarber, all hitting at 231 or lower, along with Wilson Contreras. And then you've got Ian App, who's really been carrying the mail for the team. 417 on base, 286 batting average. I like what I'm seeing out of him, but this is a pair of offenses that they are scuffling. If you're seeing a total of six, I might be taking this under because I think both of these guys are giving a complete game. I don't think either guy's going to be giving up more than three runs. I think you're going to get an ultimate pitcher's rule here, so I am most likely going to be looking at it under unless if it's like four or something like that. So we're taking a look at that. I would lean slightly to the Cincinnati Reds. If you'd see them like laying minus 150, obviously I'd be laying off, but something reasonable like a minus 120-ish will be looking at the Reds. Check back in the morning on my Twitter feed for set plays there, but with Alec Mills, I do think that this is someone that is up and down in his last start against the Tigers. He did wind up giving up three runs, but he went seven innings. What I like about him is that by and large for his career, he's kept the ball in the yard 29 and two-thirds innings so far this year. Four home runs and nine walks surrendered. His swing and miss stuff seems to be getting a little bit better. With the Reds, you just don't know what you're going to be getting if you wind up getting maybe like a TJ Anton, who I just mentioned is typically a long reliever. Would probably be taking a look at the Cubs there, but once again, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren Squirty1 for Sublazer, and that game's going to be 981 982. 965 966 on the bang board is up next. The Toronto Blue Jays are going to be playing us the Baltimore Orioles. Alex Cobb is going to be going for the Royals. Meanwhile, Taiwan Walker is going to be making his debut for the Toronto Blue Jays. This is a game that is presently off the board. It was one of those things where it was a little bit unprecedented that Mr. Walker wound up getting traded from the Seattle Mariners to the Toronto Blue Jays, and the Blue Jays desperately need him. And he's actually been quite solid so far this year. Walker is someone that over the last couple years has been dealing with some definite injuries, but it looks like he's all healthy so far here in 2020. He has been able to make, I would say, five starts in his season so far. 27 total innings in those starts. Five home runs given up is not ideal, given that he plays out there in Buffalo right now, which is very much a fly ball park. And we know that the Baltimore Orioles, if they do specialize in something, it is hitting the long ball. But you take a look at what he's done in his most recent two starts. One unearned run against the Texas Rangers, and he gives up three runs over the course of seven innings against a high-powered L.A. Dodgers team. I like that. Meanwhile, you take a look at Alex Cobb. A little bit up and down from so far this year. Got off to a really nice start. Recently, the air has come out of the balloon a little bit, though. He's given up a combined 10 runs over his last three starts. Now, he has won at least five innings in all three of those starts, but 
He's not getting any swings and misses. Two strikeouts are fair and three out of his last five starts. That is certainly something that is hampering him a little bit. Ten walks at 31 and a third innings. Nothing great, nothing awful. And for the Baltimore Orioles and the Toronto Blue Jays, both these teams wind up using quite a bit of their bullpen in the 5-4 Toronto Blue Jays win on Friday with the Baltimore Orioles. You do have to like the fact that Renato Nunez has been able to give this team seven home runs. He's been able to hit for a batting average right around a 282. And then you've got a trio of guys hitting a 300 or greater. Actually, a quadrant of guys hitting a 300 or greater. Ryan Mountcancel along with Answer Alberto. You've got in the fold Jose Iglesias along with Pedro Severino. And for Iglesias, he's been in and out of the fold, but he's hitting a 400 along with Mountcancel. Now you need a little bit more out of guys like Rio Ruiz. Mr. Velasquez and Chris Davis, who is just a big, giant waste of money, but this is actually a pretty formidable offense. Meanwhile, the Toronto Blue Jays, the home runs just keep coming for Teoscar Hernandez. He now has 12 so far this year, and he's hitting at 295. He has been absolutely amazing. Randall Gritchick is hitting above a 3-hour, but Betting average has not necessarily been the forte of quite a few of these guys. Now, you've got a couple guys that are doing a little bit better job. Blagger or Junior, Kevon Vigio hitting between a 260 and a 265. Rowdy to Lesler is Goriel, though. They're both hitting between a 240 and a 250. You've seen Travis Shaw come back to earth as he, Danny Jansen, Reese McGuire, the newly acquired Daniel Vogelback, and Joe Panic all hitting a 200 or lower. I do have to be taking a look at the Baltimore Orioles if I'm getting a solid price here. And if you're seeing a total that is south of 11, probably going to be taking a look at the over because I do think that home runs are going to be a punty in this game. Obviously, once again, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41. I should just have that written on my head at this point just because we had so many games there off the board. 967, 968 on the betting board is up next. Texas Rangers are going to be playing against the LA Dodgers. Ross Stripling goes for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Lance Lynn is going to be going for the Rangers. Your total on this game is 8.5. With the 8.5, you're going to be finding the over anywhere between minus 110. And even if you're looking at the under, that is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Rangers are finding themselves anywhere between plus 128 and plus 140 underdogs. Meanwhile, if you're taking a look at the Dodgers, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 145 and minus 160. And truth be told, this is one of the best spots that you are going to get with the Texas Rangers because they have been absolutely awful hitting no matter where they've been. Home, road, planet Mars, it just doesn't matter for the team. But Lance Lynn has been absolutely terrific. You take a look at what he's done. Here in 2020, he's got an ERA below two. His last start was another terrific one. He gives up two runs against the Oakland A's, gets his team to win. Buck 59, ERA 45 in a third innings, 50 strikeouts, give it up five home runs and 14 walks in the process. Meanwhile, for Ross Stripling, the 3-1 record does not indicate how he's actually pitched. 5.46 ERA, 24 strikeouts, which is neither great nor awful, but here's the big thing as well. He has not lended length. He has went fewer than five full innings in each out of his last three starts. You take a look at his splits on the road. He has been pretty much the same as he has been at home, but he also has actually given up a bunch more home runs at home with eight of them, which I find to be a little bit intriguing, but you also take a look at the Dodgers when it comes to the bullpen. They are in the top five in the league when it comes to that, and for the Texas Rangers, they have been able to hold it down there as well. They did wind up using up Jonathan Hernandez along with Jolie Rodriguez Rodriguez on Friday, but they do have a couple guys that are starting to swing a little bit better bet. Nick Solak along with Jose Trevino are now hitting a 275 or greater. Now you need to get a little bit more out of quite a few of these guys as Dan Diedrich along Joey Gallo, Scott Heinemann, Sinchu Chu, and Rudinette Odor are all hitting a 230 or lower, but you have been able to get something out of Ronald Guzman and the Todd Father, Todd Frazier hitting a 250. Isaiah Kinnear-Falefa 
sitting at 270 as well. And this team should be getting Elvis Andrews back soon. Probably not for this game. Meanwhile, for the Dodgers, you've got quite a few guys that are doing a great job of being able to get on base. That begins with A.J. Pollock along Justin Turner down for what? And Mookie Betts hitting between a 272 and a 286. We all know what Betts been able to do with the bat with regards to home runs so far this year. 11 of them and 24 RBI. He certainly has been terrific. You need to get a little bit more out of a few of these guys, though. Max Muncy along with Jock Peterson and... Cody Bellinger have all been scuffling. These guys are hitting at 225 or lower. And Kike Hernandez hitting at 205 as well. Will Smith has not been getting jiggy with it with the batting average at a 200. But Corey Seager hitting at 312 has been terrific. This is a Dodgers team that they've been able to get some solid pitching as well. But they did wind up having to go to the bullpen. And Jake McGee did not get the job done on Friday. I think that they're going to do a little bit of a better job here, but I think that Lance Lynn is going to be able to give a very good start here. Ross Rippling winds up giving up a couple runs with the way that the Dodgers are pitching and the way that the Rangers aren't hitting. I think it's going to be a lower scoring game, so I'm going to be taking this total under, but I think in the end, Lance Lynn is going to get the Rangers a victory, so we're going to take the plus price here with the Rangers. We move on to game number 969-970 on the betting board. Pittsburgh Pirates are on the road facing off against the Milwaukee Brewers. Brett Anderson goes for the Brew Crew. Meanwhile, JT Burbaker is going to be going for the Pirates. If you're looking at this total, it's between 9 and 9.5. On the 9, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 120. Under is anywhere between even and minus 110. On the 9.5, the over has juice of even and the under is minus 120. If you're looking at the Brew Crew, we're going to be laying anywhere between minus 160 and minus 170. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Buckos, anywhere between plus 145 and plus 155 for Burbaker. He has not been terrible. He has not been great. If you're looking for a lot of length out of him, that is certainly not going to be the forte, and that was the case early on this year for Brett Anderson, but he's actually been stretched out a little bit more. He's doing a much better job for the Milwaukee Brewers. He's been able to come around and has been able to give this team an ERA sub-3 over his last few starts, so you have to like what you're seeing there. You also have to like the fact that the Milwaukee Brewers finally got a little bit of offense going on Friday as they were able to hang a touchdown plus on the board in that game. This is a team that they entered into the series hitting a 2-11. That was worse out there in the National League along with the Cincinnati Reds and you have to hope that this team is going to be able to build a little bit of momentum from there because when you take a look at the Milwaukee Brewers, you've got a bunch of guys that you expected a little bit more from. Keston Hira, Jed Gurko, along with Avi Sale Garcia are guys that are hitting between a 216 and a 235. Jace Peterson along with Orlando Garcia, both hitting right in the neighborhood of a 250. And now you bring in a new catcher in Jacob Nottingham who's been able to do a little bit of something. But you still got Ryan Braun along with Christian Yelich, Ben Gamble. All hitting at a 210 or lower. Keston here has had not a lot of success right around at 231. Luisa Reyes has been able to hit a 300, though. And for the Milwaukee Brewers, this is a bullpen that has actually been quite solid. You have Josh Hader available in this game. And for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a bunch of, well, they don't have a lot of offense either. You've got Eric Gonzalez along with Kevin Newman, who are both hitting between a 250 and a 260. And Jacob Sellings is hitting a 328. But how about JT Riddle, Gregory Polanco, along with Brian Reynolds, Josh Bell, Adam Frazier, Jose Ozuna, all hitting a 210 or lower. So Burbaker has his workout out from as he enters into this game with right around 480 RA. So he's given up one home run so far this year, but the seven walks are a little bit of an issue. Meanwhile, for Brett Anderson, only five walks given out in 23 innings. And though he has given up four home runs, the damage itself that he has given up has been very limited, giving up two earned runs or fewer in every one of his starts so far this year. There was a start in which he gave up three runs, but there was an unearned run in there. I think that Brett is going to be able to get the job done for the Milwaukee Brewers. I think that the Brewers should be able to win this game by multiple runs. So I'll take a look at them on the run line. I'm seeing the 
run line price right around a plus 120-ish. So we're going to be taking that, and we're going to be taking a look at this total under as well. As we move on to 971, 972 on the betting board, Oakland A's are going to be hitting the road face-off against the Houston Astros. Zach Greinke is going to be going on the bump for the Astros. Meanwhile, Frankie Montas is going to be going for the A's. If you're looking at this total, there's anywhere between 8.5 and 9. On the 8.5, over is just minus 120, and the under is even. If you're looking at the 9... Your over on that is going to be right in the neighborhood of even, and the under is more in the neighborhood of minus 120. If you're looking at the Astros, could we find them anywhere between minus 125 and minus 130? Meanwhile, the plus price here with the A's is anywhere between plus 110 and plus 120. For Montas, he wound up having a start push back a few weeks ago due to back issues, and you can tell that he has not been in the same self ever since then. Winds up giving up nine runs in a start about a week and a half ago against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Last start wasn't great. He winds up going four and two-thirds innings. He gives up four runs to the Angels. Team winds up winning the game because the bullpen from there goes over five scoreless innings, but... That said, he's given up three home runs so far this year, and both were in his last two starts. The swing and miss stuff has not been there either. He's given up six strikeouts and seven walks in that time span as well, so it's not been going well there. Meanwhile, for the Houston Astros, they're right now saying it's going to be on ESPN Lance McCullers, though on the betting board, I am getting Zach Granke. Either way, I'm probably going to be taking a look at the Houston Astros in the spot. The only difference would be the prices for McCullers. He does have a ERA of a 574, but keep in mind, he wound up having that just absolutely atrocious like nine-run inning that he had against the Arizona Diamondbacks, so no question that wound up affecting them a little bit, but as I'm seeing it right now, we should be taking a look at Zach Granke here, and for Granke, 229 ERA. He has been able to do an absolutely superb job of giving up no home runs in 35 and a third innings. Only 29 strikeouts, so he hasn't had necessarily great swing and missed up, but three runs or fewer given up in every single start so far this year. He has limited the walks to six, so I do like what he is able to provide there as what I'm seeing right now is that you're actually going to be getting a double header in this game, so you do have in one game Lance McCullers going for the Houston Astros. In the other game it looks like it is going to be Zach Greinke, which I find to be very curious. If you wind up getting Montas versus Greinke, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the Astros. Actually, it's going to be either way, but with that said, when you take a look at what you're going to be able to get out of the lineup of the Houston Astros, it's a little bit of a mystery at this point as you've been able to see them be able to rise up a little bit when it comes to their offense because Michael Brantley is back. He's hitting a 270 and for Yoli Gurriel, he's been hitting more in the neighborhood of a 300 and then you got Kyle Tucker getting going as well. He and Carlos Correa hitting between a 262 and a 290 along with Josh Reddick, but you still got quite a few guys. Miles Straw, George Springer, Jose Altuve, Abraham Toro, Dustin Garneau, all hitting a 225 or lower. That has been very, very ghastly for this team. Meanwhile, with the A's, this is a team that they're towards the bottom of the league when it comes to batting average as well. It has not been a forte, but you do have Matt Olson, who's got 10 home runs and is hitting below a 200. I find that to be very intriguing. You've had a couple injuries. Chad Pinder is not injured, but he's actually dealing with paternity leave. Going to be interesting to see if he's going to be available for this game or not. You've also been seeing Marcus Simeon rising up a little bit but he's still hitting a 234 for the campaign. Ramon Laureano hitting a 210 is just not necessarily what you're looking for. And then Chris with the K Davis, along with Sean Murphy hitting a 210 or lower is not great. Got quite a few guys hitting between a 240 and a 263 as well. Robbie Grossman, along with Tony Kemp, Matt Chapman are all in that fold. And for the A's, bullpen has been absolutely terrific. And for the Astros, the bullpen has been a little bit better as well. In a seven-inning game, I got to think that Montas versus Granke would be more in the neighborhood of about a seven-ish, and I would still be taking a look at that under, and I would still be going with the Astros. No idea who would be going for the A's in game two, but I'd probably be looking at 
another under there if you wind up getting McCullers and a respectable A's pitcher just because if you are going with a bullpen game, bullpen is very respectable. But check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at JRSCord1 because that looks like another nice big mess for us. 973-974 on the betting board is up next. You've got the Washington Nationals on the road facing off against the Boston Red Sox. Chris Mazla is going to be going for the Red Sox. Meanwhile, Anibal Sanchez on the bump for the Nationals. Total on this game is anywhere between 11.5, and, and I'm seeing a straight 11 out there as well. On the 11.5, the over is anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. Under is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. On the 11, I'm seeing that juice at minus 130 on the over, and the under is at plus 110. Meanwhile, this is relatively a pick'em game across the board. You're finding the juice on both the Boston Red Sox and the Washington Nationals anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110 on the sides. And I just cannot side with the Boston Red Sox in this spot because Anibal Sanchez has actually looked a little bit better for this team recently. I'm not saying that he's going to go out there and he's going to look like Walter Johnson in his pride or anything like that, but 1-3 record, 25 innings. He has given up six home runs. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. That's not terrific, but last started against the Miami Marlins. He gives up one run over the course of seven innings. Start before that, he gives up three runs in the start against the Atlanta Braves. Five innings prior to that, he had given up four plus runs in every one of his starts so far this year. So he was rounding into form. Meanwhile, you take a look at Mr. Mazza. This is someone that has limited opportunities so far this year. Five and two-thirds innings. He's made a start and a long relief appearance, both against the Yankees. As a result, he's got an ERA of a 5.73, and this is someone that for his career just has not necessarily been a trustworthy guy. He has given up one home run so far this year, which is not necessarily ghastly, but he's also given up three walks as well. This is just someone that can't have a lot of faith in for the Red Sox. Bullpen is absolutely atrocious for the Washington Nationals. Bullpen is not great, but what you do have to know for the Washington Nationals is that they do still have Danny Hudson in the bullpen. That is going to be able to help out this team along with Tanner Rainey and for the Boston Red Sox. Phillips Valdez has really been the best bullpen arm, and he's going to be available as well. And for the Red Sox, they're not all of a sudden starting to scuffle on offense. You've got a couple guys that are still doing a good job of being able to get on base. Alex Verdugo, along with Xander Bogarts, and Kevin Ploiecki and Mitch Moreland are all leaning a 275 or higher. You've also got Christian Vasquez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Jose Peraza, and Kevin Pilar leaning between a 250 and a 260, but you have not been able to get a whole lot out of the shortstop spot, along with J.D. Davis, as Zhu Wei Lin, along with Mr. Davis, hitting a 210 or lower for the Washington Nationals. Actually, one of the better teams out there in the big leagues when it comes to batting average. Wilmer Default, along with Eric Thames, are not getting the job done. They're both hitting a 220 or lower, but you take a look at what you're able to get out of Josh Harrison, nearly hitting at 300. Luis Garcia, first player born in 2000 or later to hit a home run in a Major League Baseball game, is sitting at 317. Howie Kendrick is hitting above a 300 long. Trey Turner down for what? Ed Meaton has been in and out of the fold, but even with him out of the fold, this is a team that they're still able to get things going because Juan Soto has been terrific. 368 batting average, 9 home runs. I think that this is a very good spot for the Nationals, and as we were talking about with Jeff Parles, a total that has all of a sudden become a little bit overinflated, so for that reason, I'm going to wind up taking this total under, and I'm going to wind up going with the Washington Nationals. 975-976 on the betting board is up next. The San Diego Padres are on the road facing off against the Colorado Rockies. Antonio Sensatella is going to be going for the Rockies. Meanwhile, Adrian Morion is going to be going for the San Diego Padres. I was mentioning this with Jeff, and I've got to think that this summer is wrong. Right now at Bookmaker, I'm seeing the Padres as a minus-117 favorite. The Colorado Rockies are minus 103. That doesn't sound as bad, but the over as juice of minus 139, and it's a 9, and that means that the under is plus 119. I just can't think that we're going to see a total of 9 out there at Coors, so I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I expect us to see more around like a 12, 12 and a half ish total, and if we'd be seeing anything. 
12 or lower, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over with Antonio Sensatella. He does have a 3-1 record with a 3.96 ERA, but all of a sudden, we are starting to see bad Antonio Sensatella. Once again, he's given up 5-plus runs in 2 out of his last 3 games. He's given up 5 home runs in that time span as well. That is not necessarily ideal. And then when you take a look at Mr. Morion, he's got a very good fastball. He's able to hit triple digits, but he's got a 5.79 ERA. In his starts, he has not went past the third inning in any of them. And this is a Padres bullpen that we expected a lot from, and they have not delivered so far this year. That's putting it very politely. Now, I will say this. The fact that they were able to blow out the Colorado Rockies means that some of their more trustworthy bullpen arms, like a Craig Saman, are going to be available. But Emilio Pagan has been just Pagan with his ERA of a 579. He wound up getting used up on Friday. And for the Colorado Rockies, this is a bunch at home. They hit above a 300 as a collective. Travis Story, along with Remiel Tapia, Charlie Blackman, obviously, as well. These guys are all hitting a 300 or higher. Got to think that some of these these guys are going to be able to raise up their batting averages as well as Tony Walters along Sam Hilliard, Ryan McMahon are all hitting a 230 or lower. Nolan Arenado is now hitting a 260, but by and large, I expect that to rise. We remember the series that these two teams had last year as well, of course, in which I think there was a grand total of 72 runs scored in a four-game series. That was like some sort of a record. And you still got Fernando Tatis Jr. And how about what this guy's been able to do? 12 home runs, hitting above a 300. Manny Machado is also hitting above a 300. He's been terrific. And now you've got Will Myers, Eric Hosmer, along Ty France, Jake Cronenworth, all hitting a 280 or greater. Trent Grisham is only hitting a 240, but he's been able give this team quite a bit of pop as well. I do like this overall lineup of the Padres, so certainly leaning their way. If I'm seeing a minus 117 in the AM, I'd certainly take that, and I would be taking a look at this total over as well, but check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jr. Squarty 1 for set plays there. 977-978 on the betting board is up next. The Arizona Diamondbacks are going to be playing host to the San Francisco Giants. Trevor Kale is going to be going for the Giantes. Meanwhile, Luke Weaver on the bump for the Arizona Diamondbacks. If you're looking at the Snakes, you're going to be finding them anywhere between minus 135 and minus 140. Meanwhile, your plus price here with the Giants is anywhere between plus 120 and plus 130. Total on this game is 9.5 with a 9.5. Over and under are anywhere between minus 105 and minus 115. And for Luke Weaver, it certainly has been a trial by fire for him so far this year, but he has been able to do a little bit of a better job. In his last start, he wound up going, ironically enough, against the San Francisco Giants. Five and two-thirds innings, he gave up two runs. He has has given up two runs or fewer in three out of his last four starts, which is a very good sign for him. And he's doing a good job of getting swings and misses. 28 punch outs in 24 and a third innings. He has given up eight home runs, but a lot of that was against the San Diego Padres. That seems to be his bugaboo team. Meanwhile, for Trevor Kale, I think that the air is going to be going out of the balloon of him. He's got a 164 ERA so far this year. That is not going to lie. He's got seven walks and 11 innings. He's gotten 14 strikeouts and his last start against the Diamondbacks, five and a third innings, and he gave up one hit, which I find to be very impressive. He got eight punch outs, but I think that this is an Arizona Diamond Diamondbacks team that all of a sudden is going to be able to get a little bit of offense ignited, and we've seen that recently as they scored four plus runs in each other last three games. That was after they scored two or fewer in seven straight. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, what you like about this team? You guessed it, the Marte Parte, Cattell and Starling Marte, both hitting above a 315 for this bunch. And you've got a couple other guys coming along for the ride as David Peralta and Christian Walker hitting a 300 or greater. And you got Nick Ahmad along with Tim LaCastro, who's been in the fold a little bit more recently, and Andy Young hitting between a 250 and a 260. Carson Kelly along with Eduardo Escobar have been hitting below the Mendoza line for the years on the Diamondbacks. The bullpen has been a little bit hit or miss, but you were able to save guys like Andrew Chafin, Archie Bradley, and company because Zach Allen 
was once again terrific for them on Friday. Meanwhile, for the San Francisco Giants, the bullpen has been a mess. We have been got many times on this podcast so far this year, so I do think that that is a little bit of an issue. I do like the fact that the Arizona Diamondbacks are getting a little bit more out of Luke Weaver, and it's going to be interesting because with the Giants, this is one of the better batting teams out there in the big leagues, but they're not quite the same on the road as they are at home, which is ironic because typically in Oracle, this is a team that they... Typically, in past years, scuffle a little bit on offense, but the ballpark dimensions were changed a little bit. And as a result, you're noticing some of these guys that are doing a great job with batting average at home, not so much on the road, but you still are getting some results out of guys like Evan Longoria, Mike Ustremski, Wilmer Flores, all hitting a 280 or greater. And then you've got Donovan Solano still hitting a 336. Brandon Crawford has been able to bring a 260 to the table, but then you got Steven Duger along with Pablo Sandoval, Jeff Rickard, and Joey Bart. I do have high hopes for Joey Bart, but all these guys are in a 200 or lower along with Austin Dickerson. The fact that Slater has been in and out of the full Austin Slater is a little bit of an issue. I think that the Arizona Diamondbacks should be able to get the job done. I don't know if they're going to be able to hang a touchdown on the board like they did on Friday, so for that reason, I'm going to be taking this total under, and I'm going to be riding with the Saints. And we wrap things up with 979-980 on the bang board. As you've got the Seattle Mariners on the road facing off against the LA Angels, Dylan Bundy is going to be going for the Halos. Meanwhile, Justice Sheffield on the bump for the Seattle Mariners. No numbers on this game as I do this podcast, but I can tell you Justice Sheffield has actually been doing a very good job with this bunch. He was a highly touted prospect. He was a part of that trade for James Paxson, and he has really been able to put it all together here in 2020 for the Seattle Mariners. You take a look at what he's done recently. He has rendered just two runs in his last three starts, going six plus innings in every one of them. He's got an ERA below a 3.5. He is not backed up by a great bullpen. We saw that on display a couple days ago against the San Diego Padres. Taylor Williams and company. Not necessarily great, and Danny Altavilla is far from terrific, but you know who else has a bullpen that is far from terrific? You guessed it, the LA Angels, and for the Angels, they have got someone on the bump in Dylan Bundy that started out the year very well. He wound up having a complete game in Seattle, but he also has on his leisure giving up three runs at home against the Seattle Mariners, so it's been a little bit of a horse apiece situation there, and with Bundy, he's actually got a 371 ERA at home. Meanwhile, on the road, it's a buck 69, so he's actually been performing worse in LA than he has been on the road, which I think is very intriguing, and you take a look at the Seattle Mariners bunch, you've got the Kyles going, Kyle Seager along with Kyle Lewis, both these guys are in between a 290 or greater, and for Mr. Lewis, he's been able to give the team a quadrant of home runs. You've been able to get J.P. Crawford going as well, 340 on base, right around a 250 batting average, and then you've got Jorge Mamalois. He has been able to give this team only about a 200 batting average, but he wound up having that grand slam in the double dip against the San Diego Padres. Got a couple of other guys that need to pick it up when it comes to the batting average as well. Shed Long, Malik Smith, D. Gordon, along with Braden Bishop, has just not been getting the job done. And then for the LA Angels, this is a bunch that they've been hot and cold with their bats as well. Justin Upton, along with Shoei Otani, Joe Adele, Jason Castro, Luis Rangifo hitting a 200 lower, but David Fletcher hitting more in the neighborhood of a 315. Anthony Rendon, 435 on base. 307 batting average has been terrific. Albert Pools is starting to give the team a little bit of something, but he's only hitting a 220. And then you've got Mike Trout. 265 batting average is not necessarily what you expect from him, but 11 home runs has been terrific. I think that this has the potential of being a little bit of a higher scoring game. If you're seeing a total of 9 or lower, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over. 9.5, I certainly start to wonder on things, but with the way that Justice Sheffield is rolling, I'll probably be looking at a plus price here with the Seattle Mariners, but as per usual, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at Jaren's 41, and that's where I'll have so many of these games 
games posted in the morning Pacific time. And if you like what you're hearing on this fine podcast, baseball betting podcast, you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and tune in. If you ever have any question for the podcast, fire it into my timeline at your score one. Big thanks to my buddy Jeff Parles for unveiling his new venture and joining me in the second segment. Hopefully you're all safe, healthy, and doing well, and I will talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.